So Matthew chapter 27, verse number 27, please. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plated on a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed, and they smote him on the head. After that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. All right, and so right before this time, verse 27 uh, read verse 26, I should have started there. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So in this section of our notes, if you look at the top of your page, it's speaking here of the scourging of Jesus Christ. And by that, I'm reflecting on the scourging, the actual scourging and the way that they treated Christ uh, after the scourging was finished. So just the passage from verse 26, it would be uh, through to um, verse number 31, okay? And uh, so in this, you know, there's, there's so many aspects of, the, of Christ and, uh, and, of, and of his giving his life as a ransom for us. Then we could spend and probably will, as far as I'm concerned, never repeat a lesson and spend the rest of our time, next 25 years, studying so great a salvation. It's just intense, it's immense, what Jesus suffered for us. So before the crucifixion, to go back in our study, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying, and after he prayed those three segments of prayer, then came Judas with a band of soldiers, and uh, they took Jesus and they bound him, and they didn't need to, but they bound him, and uh, he allowed this to happen, and they took him to the house of Annas first, Caiaphas, and then outside of Caiaphas's house, a large mob of people with the Sanhedrin. And uh, so this is happening throughout the night. And so then after that, they send him to Pilate because the, the Jews are under the Romans at this time and unable to crucify somebody uh, without the Romans' approval. So they send him to Pilate. Pilate really exonerates Christ, says, I find no fault in him. Even with all the accusations, none of them agreed, and they, they, they just were not anything worthy of death. He tells the people that, and then they send him over to Herod. He finds out, oh, he's in Herod, and Herod's in town, so we're going to send him to Herod. Herod is a wicked man, and uh, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And uh, he finds no fault in Christ also. It's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a shame. Then they send him back to Pilate. So Pilate's tried to get rid of Jesus and this problem already now. And he, so Pilate says, here's what I want to do. You, you have a tradition that at the feast, which they were at the Passover, we uh, release a prisoner to you. Let's have you take Jesus yeah, who do you want, Jesus or this Barabbas? And they all cried, we want Barabbas. Well, well then Pilate then hears from his wife, who says, have, have no, 
nothing to do with that just man. I've suffered many things in a dream. And uh, so these are the order of events that happens. Pilate says, bring me something to wash my hands in front of the people. And he does that ceremonial washing where he says, this is not on me. My hands are clean. This is on you. What do the Jews say? His blood be upon us and upon our kindred. And they've had a tough time as a result. So then we uh, find Jesus there standing, ready to be condemned, and Pilate comes up with one more way to try to pacify the people. He says, I'll scourge him and then release him. And so this is the topic today, the scourging. After this scourging, he's going to go back to Pilate. Actually, Pilate hasn't left. They're all right there in the praetorium. And Pilate's going to officially condemn him to be crucified. And uh, so it's kind of like the last trial has a break in it where they scourge Jesus and they torture him. Now, Pilate had told the mob that he would chastise Jesus and let him go. And that we find in Luke's account in chapter 23, verse 22. Uh, He kept the first part of chastising him, scourging him, but did not keep the second part about releasing him. Uh, The chastising, including the scourging, was mentioned in the scripture passages, and they're synonymous. Roman numeral one here in your uh, outline, if you could see, this should last about two weeks, I think. So let's see how far we get, right, Tim? Good. (laughs) That's good. The setting. The first point is the setting. The setting. So let's look at the setting and some of the details. First of all, letter A, the situation. Setting has, of course, two T's. Situation, S-I-T-U-A-T-I-O-N, situation. And it took place at the recess of the final Roman trial before Pilate. After chastising occurred, Pilate then brought Christ to the people for a final condemnation for crucifixion. The second trial before Pilate, it turned ugly really fast. Pilate, trying to calm things down, said, I'll pacify the people. Uh, If nothing else, I'll beat them, and then they'll be happy. And the people chose Barabbas over Jesus, as we talked about last week. And they left Pilate with the problem of what to do. So uh, after they released Barabbas, Pilate gave Christ over to be crucified. Let's see that again in verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall. Now, number Our letter B is the site, S-I-T-E. Where is this happening? In verse 27, this is the common hall, the common hall. In Mark's account, it uses the word praetorium. All right, you can find that in uh, Mark 15, verse 16. Uh, The word common hall or praetorium, it's the same Greek word, and it's the word praetorion. It's where praetorium comes from. It is strictly the original meaning of that had to do with the general's tent in the middle of a camp. It was the, the most important place. But it came to mean, really, the place of the governor. And this praetorium was Pilate's mansion in Jerusalem, adjacent to the temple, near the temple, near the Antonia Fortress that was on one side of the temple grounds. And uh, it was his place of residence when he was in Jerusalem. 
And uh, this had to have quite a courtyard, all right? Because look what happens uh, in verse 27. They took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. So capital letter C is the soldiers. Soldiers, S-O-L-D-I-E-R-S, soldiers. In Mark's account, it says, and they called together the whole band. Now, these soldiers were pilot soldiers. They were the governor's soldiers. They are actually Romans. And uh, the, the temple had soldiers. I don't know if you realize that. When Judas went to the garden, he had borrowed soldiers from the Roman governor, Pilate. Uh, but then uh, he also had the temple guard, which were the Sanhedrins. There was over 500 people that came to Gethsemane. Of course, if you've ever been there, you'd never squeeze that many people into that little olive orchard. Uh, and uh, you, the ones who came to the front were the ones like uh, Judas and, and, and the, the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin leaders. And uh, it was there we read in John chapter 18 that when Jesus said, I am he, and they all fell backwards, I mean, it must have been quite a sight because there's over 500 so people there. And so they're all crammed in there. Some of them probably couldn't necessarily see Judas coming up to Christ and kissing him and betraying him. And, uh, but they heard, I am he, and they all fell backwards. And the fun thing is, if you've ever been there, it's somewhat like a third the way up the, the hill, uh, the Mount of Olivet. And so they're, the ones who didn't fit into that little terraced spot that's Gethsemane were probably somewhat on a hill. And I could just see those soldiers rolling down on top of each other <laughs> when Jesus said, I am he. Anyway, that's all taking place. Most of those, they borrowed some of the soldiers from Pilate, but most of them was the temple guard. Gathering here in this praetorium, they're all Roman soldiers. And uh, Barnes, uh, Albert Barnes' notes said, the band or cohort was a tenth part of a Roman legion and consisted of from four to six hundred soldiers, Roman soldiers. So quite a courtyard at this praetorium. Because here is Christ... He is the head of this, and as we're going to make a note, that he is uh, going to be scourged over uh, some kind of seat. Usually, sometimes they would use the uh, cut-off trunk of a tree, but a, a short or stone, something small, that they would bend him over, tie him down to lash him. And uh, so they, they are, he, that's all in the front, and there are at least 400 soldiers that are gathered around. So this is a mob coming after Christ. Now, it was good for the governor to have a sizable bodyguard, but this was his bodyguard. And calling all the soldiers together for the sport, as one, this is a commentator wrote this, for the sport of seeing the scourging, these heathen soldiers would also enjoy showing their contempt for the Jews as well as for the condemned man. So the Romans, the animosity was on both sides. The Jews hated the Romans, the Romans hated the Jews. And here was their opportunity to really do whatever they wanted, have, have their way with a, a prisoner. And this prisoner was condemned. And what was the official condemnation? Because he is the king of the Jews, especially contemptuous to the Roman people. And so here come these Roman soldiers who are whose lives are surrounded by butchery. They, are, they, are, they have not the moral gifts of the Bible and uh, not the moral restraints. Rome was full, full of bloodshed, remember? Full of bloodshed. 
and um, you go down to their Circus Maximus in Rome and see where they used to sit in large assembly uh, where the chariot races were. And that was largely, I know the picture on the wall here pictures the Colosseum and the torture that happened in the Colosseum. But the Colosseum wasn't built until uh, later after Nero. He burnt part of the city and it made room for it. But then he died and then uh, Vespasian is responsible for building that. And so largely, and then, okay, so Vespasian, uh, then Titus, and then Domitian, and Domitian, he, he killed hundreds of thousands of people, uh, Jews and people that claimed to follow Jesus Christ. So that is a true, true picture, you know, rendition, but it would have been later, like 95 A.D. When Christ was crucified in 30 A.D., down in Rome, most of their bloodbath for entertainment was done in this large Circus Maximus uh, that is at the other side. Of the of the Palatine Hill, going down the other side of the hill, uh, past um, past the uh, Roman Forum and all of that, and uh, but these people are just butchers. Rome is just full of they're 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 immoral, they're destructive, and they they take pleasure in the brutality of of something like this. So that's the setting in the soldiers. Roman numeral two, the scourging, the scourging and the chastising. Pilate, in John 19, verse 1, it says, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. While the scripture says that Pilate scourged him, the soldiers, of course, did the actual work. It was Pilate simply giving the order. The physical suffering which Christ experienced during the crucifixion experience involved more than just his suffering on the cross. Uh, there was a torture that we have read about and we're going to try to explain. And this pre-crucifixion torture was the scourging and the things that happened in the courtyard. Now, to get a better sense of this, he's already a mess. Uh, when he was in the uh, trials prior to this, this is the second time that he will be beaten in the face. His beard is already, that's already transferred. They ripped off his beard in parts. That's already taken place and uh, things of that nature. He is already looking terrible. When he comes that third time and Pilate says, Art thou the king of the Jews? He's looking at a man who's bleeding and suffering, black and blue, been, been tortured already. And his clothes are rag, rags, and he's a mess. Art thou the king of the Jews? Is this it? You're the king of the Jews? Of course, not. he is. But it's, uh, but it's a kingdom that's bigger than... Uh, Rome or bigger than Israel, he's the king of kings, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, so, the first point under scourging is the, long, the longest word here. We got some long words here. Amen. You know, um, yeah, it's good. This is uh, going to be vocabulary class back to junior high school. Uh, injuriousness, I N G A U R, like injure, injury. I-N-J-U-R-I-O-U-S, I-O-U-S, N-E-S-S. Promise, I, I have enough blanks there. If you have too many or you run out, then you, you didn't catch it. I-N-J-U-R-I-O-U-S-N-E-S-S, injuriousness. Two different words are used to describe the scourging, but both of them mean a whipping. John uses the more common Greek word, but both of these words that are found in Matthew, Mark, and in John all refer to a whipping. 
The meaning of this word of this of these words uh, in the in this court indicates great cruelty. So the whipping was done on the bare back with rods or with something like a cat of nine tails. So um, a cat of nine tails is traditionally what we have. Um, all, the, all that we understand about what happened to Christ is what they used. And so a cat of nine tails got its name from a whip that had nine ends braided on the end. And so it wasn't just like one whip. I, I, when I was a high school kid, I bought a whip and learned how to crack a whip. Uh, and you can get those things so loud, okay? Of course, then, if you get it too close, you can cut yourself uh, wide open with it, uh, a leather whip. But uh, that was a whip with just one single ending, okay? A cat of nine tails then uh, would have originally start with uh, eight more braids coming out for the last several feet of the whip. And um, so we're not sure exactly what was used here, but the cat of nine tails was the most common way for this to be done. Now, the, it, it could have had seven whips. It could have had, you know, the end of the number of endings, the name came from having nine. And then they would take glass and stone and sometimes some jagged pieces of metal, and they would thread those in to the very endings along those last little sections of whip so that the part grabbing, touching the criminal uh, would actually uh, be very destructive to his body. So the setting is that they would take a, a, some kind of rock or stool or some kind of thing that's fastened that can't move, tie the man barebacked over the top so he's slumped over like this, and then the Roman soldier whose job it was and who has practiced at this would take that cat of nine tails and he would do it in such a way to cover the area of the back in the greatest, widest way with that cat of nine tails. And then all of that stuff they had weaved in there would grab a hold of the skin and then he would wrench it back and it would tear. And so the scourging, being a brutal affair, uh, was inflicted, let me read this to you, by a whip of several thongs, each of which loaded with pieces of bone or metal. It would help, I'm sorry, it would make pulp of a man's back. Another commentator, the flagation usually brought blood with the first stroke and reduced the back to a fearful state of raw and quivering flesh. Strong men often succumbed under it. This is Pilate's answer. Let's just, and so imagine what's happened at the end of however many of those whippings, 39 of them or whatever. His back was nothing but just ribbons of flesh. When he stood up, parts of it were just ribbons of his own flesh hanging down. And uh, the bloodletting there would have been immense. So that in many, in many cases, the punishment inflicted here would kill the individual. He would never make it to the cross alive. They would put him on the cross dead already to suffer and then all of the torture that happened there. Sometimes we get this impression of Jesus like on the Catholic crucifix with a little few drips of blood from his hands and his feet and from the thorns on his face. 
But imagine, the Bible says in Isaiah 52 that his visage was marred more than any other man. His face, his beard is plucked out, and he's been beaten severely in the face, and now his back is just laid open and is just meat. The injury to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I might get ahead of myself, but I think it would be good to point out, if you go back with me to this passage, um, so they scourged him in verse 26. In verse 28, they took his clothes, so they'd put, after the scourging, they'd put his own clothes back on him, right, his outer garment. And what would happen with all of that open wound, but that the garment would immediately, because of the continual bleeding, would uh, mat itself into the back and the wound. All right, obviously you'd see the wetness of the blood through the, the garment. And then, now read verse 28. In that state, they bring him there and they stripped him. What would happen? All the back wound would all be opened up again. We get this idea that, oh yeah, he just was whipped and then they put him on a cross. And... Um, and they put on him a scarlet robe. What would happen when they put the scarlet robe on? It would mat into the flesh and the wound. We're talking about almost like, um, almost like mincemeat because you're talking about whipping like this some 39 times, pulling the flesh in different directions, creating like ribbons of flesh. Okay, You didn't know it could be so graphic in Sunday school. But I think sometimes we forget. We have to know these things because it's what he did to purge our sins. The physical suffering of Christ was part of the deal. The greater part was suffering the blame or guilt, however you want to put it, the judgment of God upon all the sins of the world was in that cup in the garden that he said, I've got to drink the cup that my Father hath prepared for me. That he became sin so that the physical suffering how great it is, was not as great as the spiritual suffering. And we need to understand that. I'm not just trying to make somebody grossed out, say, man, you fed us all this food, and now we're sitting down here. Um, I just think it's important for you to know this isn't play. It's not just, you could read these words in a few seconds, but it wasn't a few seconds. Okay, they took that robe off of them. Uh, in verse 30, 31, please. After that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him. What's going to happen again? Then they put that other garment that already had all of that blood and flesh matted into it back on him. Right. Jesus is coming to this place. No wonder he couldn't bear the cross, right? Physically. Right? And there's some questions on that. People have said, well, Jesus could bear the cross, but they called Simon of Cyrene to do it. I, I, I'm, I'm saying that this is, this is more than just words or talk or just a little brutality. He is almost dead by this point, and they carry him to the cross. Couple letter B uh, here is the injustice, injustice, I-N, J-U-S-T-I-C-E, injustice. The injustice. Pilate 
repeatedly declared in the court sessions that Christ was innocent. We've covered this. If you've been here the last couple of Sundays, we Pilate said it, and then he said, then then his then then Herod said it, then Pilate repeated it, then Pilate's wife repeated it. There's this man is not a sinner. He is done nothing worthy of death. It's the only true thing they really, really said in the whole scenario with all the false accusations. Yet he had Christ scourged. The injustice of the scourging is then obvious and it is outrageous. Innocent people do not get punished by a court. They get let go. But a court which rejects Christ will be grossly uh, unjust court. And Pilate's court, in spite of all the good words he said about Christ's innocence, plainly rejected Christ and uh, not surprisingly acted in unjust ways. It, it's, I'm sure there are better topics, happier topics, but on his uh, day of resurrection, I don't think we uh, could overlook this topic. Thirdly, capital letter C is the intent. The intent. I've noticed two different in parts of his intent. Two reasons that he scourged Christ. The first one is the preparation. P-R-E-P-A-R-A-T-I-O-N. Preparation. Now, that this is not unusual that they would scourge a, a, a crucifixion uh, criminal. It's a pre-crucifixion preparation. And uh, the general reason for this is that they uh, would in make the cross... Okay, so you put somebody on a cross, and they could theoretically, they're, they're going to actually drown. They're not, they're not going to die because of the wounds in their hands, you know, or their feet. But the particular way that they're hanging there, uh, they can't breathe. And, and they're leaning forward, and they have to pull themselves up to breathe. Okay, we've said this when we preached a couple years ago about the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. When he cried, it is finished, it came at great sacrifice to say anything. Lifting himself up, he would cry those seven things that he said from the cross. But eventually, all around the heart, the fluids of the heart begin to build up. It is exactly described in Psalm 22 as that he said, My heart is filled with wax. It's a description like before we could understand the medical practices or understand what's happening to the physical body, everything in there would become melted into sort of a filled with fluid. And then with the inability to breathe, the, the, the person would normally drown. But it would take a long time. If somebody were not scourged, sometimes they were on the cross for days before they were taken down. And it is the reason that when, when they begged the body of Pilate, he sent the soldiers to make sure that Jesus were dead. And what did they do to the thief on the one side and the other? They, I mean, we read this so fast, but they literally took their spears and reached up or clubs and shattered the men's legs. I mean, that alone would be kind of a brutal thing, you know. One time I, I was in a position where a, a wounded, a wounded um, come on, a little animal, varmint, uh, that he looked like he was rabid, but he was wounded by a dog. 
a raccoon, was coming, and I was between me and my wife. This, this raccoon was walking toward us, and uh, I was at somebody's house. And so I said, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to kick it or something. But I was in a kid's yard, and they had a baseball bat, right? So I, I, I do you want me to describe it? All right. So what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you, you want to, some of you really want to know. Like, come on, tell me, tell me. I dispatched him, uh, and it yes, and it did not take very many swings. Yes, right. Uh, he didn't, I, I was going down. He went <laughs> quack. All right. So uh, the point is, when we think of these things, we don't think of its brutality. They came up and they they did something like that to the legs of each of the people, but then they saw Christ. They said, oh, he's already dead. Probably because unlike these other two, he had been through this already, his body unable to keep on going. We know what the Bible says. He actually gave up the ghost. There's some word. I lay my life down. I don't think he has the power to lay it down, power to raise it again. And so he gave up the ghost. That's a word for dying in the Bible, but it is him giving up the ghost. So sometimes they would do this in preparation, and we'll get to that, where they pierced, that's where they pierced his side, when they broke the legs of the others. The second point is pacification. Pacific, they wanted to pacify the crowd, P-A-C-I-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N, pacification. The Christ-hating crowd was the main reason why Pilate had Christ scourged. In the Gospel of Luke, he says, I will chast- chastise him, uh, or scourge him, and release him, Luke 23. So Pilate was not scourging Christ in preparation of the cross, though that was sometimes the practice. I'm making the point that he was scourging him in order to present him to the people and release him as if I will pacify these people's blood lust for Christ's blood by scourging him And when I bring him, they'll say, that's enough, we're going to release him. This was to be in place. It was designed only to pacify the Jews. Pilate hoped that when they would see the gaze, the the Jews would gaze on his suffering, they would uh, have their rage uh, appeased. But Pilate miscalculated this crowd. They did not want a bloodied Christ, they wanted a dead Christ. And they were not going to be satisfied until that happened. And the sight of the bloodied Christ only set for more of a call for them to be crucified. In John's gospel it says, For when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him in that condition, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. So this was the third scheme that Pilate failed. First he tried to send Christ to Herod. Secondly, he tried to give him a release, and they chose Barabbas instead. And this time, he's trying to pacify the crowd with a scourging, uh, and uh, it didn't work either. There was no sympathy for Christ. No sympathy for Christ. Remember that when we come to tonight's message. I'll preach all day on the crucifixion. All right. Um, Pilate was dealing with a very wicked mob. I think a very demon-controlled mob. The last point that we'll get to today and then we'll let you go is the informing. The informing. 
And Jesus going up to Jerusalem, let's see here, I'm skipping ahead. Oh, let's just say there was scarcely an incident relating to his death that was not a subject of distinct prophecy, and that includes the scourging. Go back, if you will, to look at chapter 20, and we'll do this in the next message even again. But go to Matthew 20, and look at verse 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. They didn't listen to his prophecies. They really didn't. But it is already something Christ spoke about. All right, so bring this outline back with you next week. And we will finish with the tale of what happened after this and uh, in those verses in chapter 27. But let's have a word of prayer and we will be dismissed for the morning service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you please bless this, Lord, this information. Lord, not just to intrigue the minds, but to touch hearts of what you did and endured for our salvation. Thank you for the resurrection. And as we preach on the resurrection the next hour, I pray, God, that you touch the hearts of those that are there, that, God, if there's somebody that's not saved, this would be the day of salvation. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.